When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, this is the review for the American Government and Civics Unit 1 Foundations of United States Government uh, test. So uh, in your classes, you should have been learning about uh, the different types of government, how they operate, some of the philosophers that uh, the United States will draw from to create their government um, and just a, a whole bunch of stuff. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to run through a review um, and hopefully uh, you can get something out of it. Alrighty. So first up is what is a unitary state? All right. And uh, a unitary state is where there is one centralized government. Um, and when I say one centralized government, that means that um, there is just one kind of all powerful, all encompassing level of government. Um, and it will control everything. And it might be uh, uh, wide ranging uh, lands and all that kind of stuff. And there might be different subjects and states and, and all that kind of stuff. But there is one centralized government that's given all the directions to everybody else. Uh, if you think back to your US history days, the British government, when they were in control of the colonies, the American colonies, that was unitary. So you had the British king parliament all those people over there that would send directives directions to the american colonies so that's what a unitary state is okay uh next up is the english philosophers and there's a couple of english philosophers and on the test there's a, a good bit of questions about the philosophers uh because we take a lot of these ideas from um from them and put it into uh our government so you need to remember that these philosophers they wrote well before a lot of the, the people that wrote the Constitution had come around. Um, but they they wrote from a point of view in in Europe where, okay, here's a monarchy, but that's not how government should be. The people should have more say-so. There should be uh, uh, an avenue for individuals and for citizens uh to, to get their needs met by the government instead of just on the whims of this one person. And so a lot of the writings <clears throat> that they create come from that point of view. So there's five of them that you got to know. Uh, Hobbes is the first one. And Hobbes is going to write on uh, limited government. Um, so, you know, having a, a government that does have some limitations, uh, that can't just come in and grab you and take you away and you're never seen again because of something you said. Uh, there needs to be, you know, we have today a bill of rights that says these are things the government cannot take away from you. Uh, it can't do to you. Uh, Hobbes wrote about that. He wrote about how we needed those kinds of, of uh, protections in place for people and that a government should not be all powerful. Uh, it should have some limitations placed on it. That's the whole limited government thing. Uh, John Locke uh, will write on the natural rights, uh, you're probably familiar with these, with the Declaration of Independence, uh, right to life, liberty, and Locke said property 
Jefferson will change it to the pursuit of happiness. <clears throat> Excuse me. But either way you look at it, uh, both of them believe quite firmly that there are that every person has these natural rights. That you're just you're born the inalienable rights. You're born with them, and the government is supposed to protect those. Okay, so Locke is the natural rights guy. Voltaire will write extensively about freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and the separation of church and state. Uh, he writes quite a bit about that, and you know you see that writing and that those things in our Bill of Rights with the First Amendment. We have written into the First Amendment, we have the freedom of religion, we have the freedom of speech, and we'll see some court cases uh, as we move forward in our class uh, about the separation of church and state uh, and how you know there should, not, there should be that separation. Um, that's why there's no prayer in school and things like that. Rousseau is going to write about the majority versus minority rights. So basically, you know, when we hear this majority minority, sometimes we go uh, and think about other things, but this is just politics. Okay. So, uh, when there's a vote, the majority wins and, uh, Rousseau is going to write that just because the majority wins doesn't mean they can completely ignore the minority side, the minority rights. Uh, and then finally Montesquieu, Montesquieu is a big one, uh, at least to me, uh, he's going to write extensively about the separation of powers. So, you know, he's coming from a, a time when, there's one person that can do everything, that can write the laws, uh, interpret the laws, uh, enforce laws, and all those sorts of things. And he, he's going to write from a point of view that that shouldn't be. There should not be one person, one group that has all that power. There should be a separation of powers in order to have limited government, in order to have uh, some some separations there, not allow one person, one individual, one group to, to have all this stuff. And so he writes about the separation of powers, and it's something that we're going to, to see in our, our government today with the three branches. You have the legislative branch, which writes the laws. You have the executive branch, which enforces. And you have the judicial branch, which enforce, uh, in, interprets the laws. So we don't have one branch that's going to have all the powers together. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving on to the English documents. So there's three of them. Uh, the Magna Carta, the Petition of Rights, and the English Bill of Rights. So all of these, the, the, kind of the overarching theme here is all of these had an influence on our Constitution, right? They're, they're all going to be uh, something, some aspect of these things were, were put into uh, our Constitution. So just real quick, a couple of things. The Magna Carta was agreements between, or an agreement between King John, kind of begrudgingly, uh, and some barons that were, I don't want to say rebelling, but they weren't happy with King John. And King John, uh, eventually, he gives in, and, and it's a, you know, there's a whole list of, of things that the, the king gives up and guarantees the, these these barons. Uh, it's basically a list of protections. Uh, there's also some church rights uh, thrown in there um, and some other things. But uh, King John is going to give up a lot of power uh, with the Magna Carta uh, and all these protections that are you know, going to be uh, no illegal imprisonment. So the king can't just come and grab these barons and throw them in jail and, and things like that. Uh, the petition of right, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, was because of the relationship between Charles I and his parliament. Um, the petition asked for four things, basically. Uh, no taxation without consent of parliament, uh, no imprisonment without cause, no quartering of soldiers on subjects, and no martial law in peacetime. So some of that stuff might sound familiar, familiar to you. No taxation without representation from your U.S. history days. 
um, you know, no imprisonment without cause. So that's getting into the fourth, fifth, and sixth amendments uh, that we have in place here in America. The no quartering of soldiers that gets you into the third amendment. So, you know, once again, all these things draw our our our, our government, our constitution draws on some of these documents. And then finally is the English Bill of Rights. Uh, and this is going to, this is a big one. This is going to set up a constitutional monarchy. So the king and queen are still going to be there in England, but they're just basically figureheads, they're heads of state. Uh, their powers are very limited. They're heavily dependent upon uh, parliament. You know, our executive branch is heavily dependent upon our Congress. Um, so uh, all those things happen with the English Bill of Rights. And then uh, you know, people are given individual rights, which was kind of unheard of at the time. So... Uh, so those are those documents. Uh, all right, an oligarchy. Uh, I probably say that incorrectly, and I apologize if I do. But this is just a rule by a group of people. Uh, there'll be, you know, a small council, um, or maybe five, six, ten people. Uh, but it's a small group ruling a large group. Uh, Republic, representative democracy. <coughs> excuse me. So the um, at the end of the day, kind of the 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 republic and the representative democracy uh, is where we as citizens are going to elect people, in our case Congress, uh, to make rules and laws for us. All right, this is different from a direct democracy, where which we'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, where people are are taking active roles and active parts in the decision making process. Instead. We just are going to elect people. You know, in our case, we elect a House of Representatives member, and we elect two senators in our state, uh, and then they make decisions for us. All right. Uh, parliamentary democracy versus presidential democracy. So the big thing here is in a parliamentary democracy, uh, and this is something that England has. Okay, they have a parliamentary parliamentary democracy. They have a prime minister, similar somewhat similar to our president, but um, the legislature gets to choose the the executive branch versus the presidential democracy where what do we get to do? Well, we get to pick our own president. And the only time Congress has any kind of say so with the presidency is if there was some kind of tie or something along those lines. Uh, authoritarian government versus democratic government. Uh, I think probably the big thing to understand here uh, about this is that, you know, with a democratic government, uh, the government is limited because they're supposed to, to only do what the will of the people want them to do. They're not supposed to go outside uh, of that versus an authoritarian government where there's probably one leader and they're getting to do whatever they want to. And what the people want does not matter. All right. Uh, next up is the direct democracy. And uh, the direct democracy, this is where we would take a more active role in, 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 as citizens. We would take a more active role in creating policy uh, in, in the government. The best example of the direct democracy was prior to America becoming a individual or a, a free country. And, and things like that, you you had the colonies, and a lot of those colonies had self-government. And if you think back to, I know it was a long time ago, but you're, and it was digital probably, but if you think back to, to pre-American Revolution, you probably talked about some of the New England, you know, town halls or town meetings and, and things like that. 
uh, that was direct democracy. Most of the citizens of those towns, of those places, would come together. They would meet. They would talk, discuss, discuss issues, and make decisions. That was self-government. That is direct democracy, uh, where they're taking an active role. In those small little towns and villages, they can do that. We can't do that today, though. There's 350 million people here in America. There's no way for, for all 350 million of us to, to come together and you know, open up a Google Doc and all start putting our ideas in there or something like that. It'd just be impossible, right? Uh, all right, next up is a confederation. And this is uh, a union of independent states, but they come together for some kind of uh, reason. Uh, maybe it is for trade purposes. Maybe it is for protection purposes, whatever it might be. Uh, but they, it's 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 uh, just a grouping of kind of free states, uh, free places. You know, uh, if you think back once again to U.S. history, the Articles of Confederation, Articles of Confederation, um, that was the thirteen colonies, the thirteen states. But it was kind of a a loose grouping. You know, there there was no well. We're, we're, we're unified. Uh, remember, you know, the Articles of Confederation was a pretty bad government, and the states had all the power, and the states really were out for themselves. All right, the Declaration of Independence. So a couple of things. Uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson is going to write the Declaration of Independence. He uses ideas from John Locke, from Montesquieu, uh, in, those, in that document, um, and it declares our independence. But the big thing to take away from it is those natural rights. He, he's going to write about the natural rights that he took from Locke, and... Uh, Life, liberty, and once again, he changes it the pursuit of happiness uh, because of the uh, issues of the day. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it, it's what it, it's, it's the document you know that, that kind of says, "Hey, this is what we're going to. This is the ideals of America," and then they list the the reasons they're breaking away from the the British government. All right, next up in uh, the review is the uh, limited government. And uh, limited government is just going to be what we talked about earlier, where there are some restraints on government authority. They don't just have the right and the ability to just come in and do whatever the heck they want to. We as citizens have individual rights. Uh, we can take part in some of the government decisions, uh, whether it's voting on congressmen <coughs> or whatever. So limited government. Um, and it's what we have today. Okay. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel like it because the government is pretty big right now, uh, but we do have a limited government because there are some limitations placed on them. Uh, elections in a democratic society. So, uh, in some places when there are elections, there's not that peaceful transition. Um, in a, a democratic society, what's supposed to happen is one side wins, one side loses, and then there's a peaceful transition of power. That's, that's what's supposed to happen there. Uh, Fidel Castro and autocratic government. I don't know how much y'all talked about Fidel Castro. This is an American government class, but we have to get an idea of all the different things that are around the world that we and we can compare uh, ourselves to. So Fidel Castro came into power in uh, Cuba many, many years ago, a long time ago. And uh, he's going to introduce basically uh, this, this autocratic government where, you know, all the power of the state is in the hands of one person. So Fidel Castro ruled um, as the kind of the uh, supreme leader for the lack of a better way to say it. Uh, democracy versus a monarchy. Pretty simple to, to understand this. Uh, in a democracy, uh, citizens have a lot more power, a lot more role, a lot more say-so 
Um, there's a lot more uh, input from citizens uh, into the making of the laws in a democracy versus a monarchy where you have the king and the, or the king or queen, and they get to make most of the decisions. Uh, popular sovereignty. So popular sovereignty is basically just, you know, we get to, we as citizens get to make decisions. Power of the government is supposed to come from us um, when we, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when we're making the, or when decisions are being made, our interests are supposed to be kind of at the heart of those decisions, not what some big corporation wants or anything like that. Popular sovereignty is where citizens uh, have a say-so and all the power from the government is going to come uh, from them. All right. Uh, let's see. Almost done here. Oligarchy versus a monarchy. So pretty easy. Uh, we've already talked about those things. An oligarchy is that small group of people ruling things. A monarchy is where there's going to be one person. All right, the advantage of the unitary state. So you know, we, we write about, or not write about, but we, we talk about unitary states, and sometimes we have a bad taste in our mouth because, well, that's what the English were when they were ruling the colonies and things like that. But it is a pretty simple form of government, all right, where um, there's not a lot of moving pieces because you do have just the one kind of big part of them. Instead of a bunch of pieces of the machine, you just have one machine doing everything. All right, in a unitary state. Uh, you also have laws that are uniform throughout the nation. So there's not a diff there's not different laws over here and over there. Uh, they're all the same. And then the government system, it's, it's a pretty strong system. All right. Um, you know, the, the government uh, can dictate uh, what's being done. Now, is it the best? Probably not. But it is something that that is not as it, we, we, we frown upon it in this country because it's what we left. It's what we got rid of when we fought the American Revolution. Okay. <clears throat> uh, federal system of government. This is just where power is divided amongst the uh, uh, amongst different governments. Uh, for us, we're in a federal system. We have the national government that we have to listen to. We also have the state governments that we have to listen to. Right. So, federal system is just where you divide the power amongst different groups of government. All right. And then the last thing is uh, confederation governments. And we already talked about confederation, so I'm not sure why I put it back on there. But uh, anyways, just, uh, you know, it's where you have a central government. And yes, they have some power. But at the end of the day, the the members are going to actually have all the power. OK, so the members are going to have the power. All right, guys. Uh, so hopefully that helps. Hopefully it wasn't too painful uh, to listen to. Uh, I tried to get done as quick as I could. And um, just a couple of the last little few extra things about the test. Uh, there is uh, some some questions on the test where you have to read. So you have to be able to uh, you know, read and interpret passages from the Declaration of Independence, passages from some of the philosophers, writings and things like that. So you know, don't freak out. Uh, but just uh, some of those questions are going to come. Um, from that, you'll have to read some charts and some graphs just because it's part of the AKS. It's stuff that we have to do. Anyways, guys, best of luck on the test whenever you're taking it. And uh, I'll probably talk to you on the next one. Uh, if you need anything, uh, you know, talk to your teacher. Um, you can always uh, interact with me uh, via Twitter, uh, CHHS. <laughs> excuse me, uh, gov underscore civics. Uh, if you want to follow them, 
that's me actually. So follow me, them, whatever, uh, and you can reach out and I'll answer any questions you might have uh, about the podcast, about the materials or anything like that. All right, everybody. Uh, hope you have uh, a good day and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.